Today, we begin a two-part series on the Iceman, Richard Kuklinski. I'm sorry, I mean Kuklinski. In part one, we'll discuss his brutal family life and rough childhood. We'll look at his turn to violence and how it became an eye-opening experience for him. Kuklinski soon became known all throughout New Jersey as a dangerous young man, and this caught the eye of a powerful mafia family. I'm Mike. I'm Ian. And I'm Dave. If you thought tonight's show was a Where Are They Now episode about Val Kilmer's iconic Top Gun character, stick around. It was supposed to be, but Scientology Tom issued us a cease and desist, so we're talking about this Kuklinski fella instead. This is Necronomapod. It was a man who was begging and pleading and, uh, and, and praying, I guess. And um, he was pleased garden all over the place. So I told him he could have a half hour to pray to God. And if God could come down and change the circumstances, he'd have that time. But God never showed up. What'd you guys think of that halftime show? It was good. I loved it. Yeah. That was great. It's fantastic. They should, do, they should just have them every year. I watch the, it every year. The official halftime show. I spent hours reading comments from dopey middle-aged white people <laughs> on how bad it was. <laughs> it was so great. <laughs> Which is so crazy because like, how many times can you have like the same old generic classic rock artists, right? Like you had your Rolling Stones and your U2s and you know... Yeah. Whatever else they've done in the past. Yeah. Like it's, we get it. So last year, the year before that, everybody was all pissed off about JLo and Shakira. Dude, that was so good though. Oh yeah. I, th- I think that was two years ago. Everybody was all. Yeah. Two years ago. Like shut up. What did they do last year? The weekend. Oh, that's right. When you had oh, the bandages that was on good. his face. Yeah. It was Maroon 5 three years ago, I think. I like the weekend. He's real good. It was, it was different. I like how Dave's low key a Super Bowl halftime show historian. <laughs> like, well, and then in 1987, it transformed and became a, a full time sponsored event. Who was before uh, Maroon Five? I have no idea. Who was it? I don't know. Oh. I thought you knew. <laughs> yeah, it was good know. stuff. That was really cool. Like the comments. This ain't music. We kind of crap, crap. This ain't music. Do you think those people would have been happier if it was the Insane Clown Posse? (laughs) Some of them would have been happier. A a significant portion, I suppose. Just Fago flying all over the field, getting it all (laughs) sticky for when the players come back out. Fago. (laughs) But I think you can legitimately make the the statement that Mary J. Blige is probably up there in one of the top, you know, three, four, five greatest female singers of all time. With Aretha Franklin, with Whitney Houston, and just... I think she's great. These comments about not being music, I just found completely offensive. I'm a big Mary J. Blige fan. Also, yeah, why is it not music? Because they're not playing guitars? (laughs) Ain't no Confederate flag up on there. Where are all the white people at? Ridiculous. (laughs) So fucking cool. You see the size of that board Dr. Dre was using? It was awesome. I loved it. It was so cool. I'm pretending that was a shoot, too. He was actually using that thing. I think he was, Mike. Maybe. <laughs> Can you imagine if you, had a, if you had a board that big over here, Dave? That'd be fantastic. You, you hit the wrong clips half the time as it is. <laughs> Let alone if you had 30 more feet of uh, board to work with. And, and then they, I saw the news reporting that they, and they uh, had a clip of Snoop hitting that joint. When oh, I saw thing that. was coming up. They're yeah. like, uh, reportedly Snoop was smoking a marijuana <laughs> cigarette before the show. <laughs> what the fuck are you talking about? Remember that fight with um, it was Mike Tyson and Roy Jones, mm-hmm. not that long uh, yeah, ago. Yeah, like a mm-hmm. couple of years ago, right? Or yeah, a year ago, they, had, they had Snoop Dogg perform before the fight started. I think he just like went rogue and did whatever the fuck he wanted because he legit. It was like a straight up concert. Like it was like twenty five minutes. He had smoked a huge blunt the whole time. Yeah, when he, I think like when the like the pre like the cere- pre ceremony started or whatever, and like you know the music. It was like an hour till the fight started. Yeah. He just didn't With, stop like, introductions. And then Snoop literally did a concert and then the fighters are walking to the ring and then their introductions. Yeah. I remember thinking like, all right, 
I think I even, we were both watching it, but at our separately, I was like, just text me when the fight starts. Like, <laughs> I, I can't sit here this much longer. Like the ability to smoke that much weed is a superpower. Like he's a superhero. It was a very large blunt that he smoked <laughs> the entire thing while performing for Mike Tyson. Do whatever yeah. the fuck you wanted. I just find it funny when they were reporting that. Breaking news. <laughs> I didn't realize he had a, okay, that he was smoking. Yeah, it was, I saw it online, yeah. like video of like, so, like a fan recorded it. Like when yeah. he's like, Ducking someone down. else might've been performing. He was like kind of down on like the steps and he is just smoking up doing a weed or two. So that's our thoughts on the uh, halftime show. I was not expecting to go down that path, but sorry. That's what popped in my head. It's all right. I had nothing to talk about. People are always pretty mad about the Super Bowl every or the halftime show every yeah, year. Yeah. There's always somebody real mad about it. But Where's the diversity? <laughs> get the country music up there and get some white people performing. Ridiculous. They, they had Eminem. What else do they want? Exactly. Richard Kuklinski was born April 11th, 1935, in his family's apartment on 4th Street in Jersey City, New Jersey, to Stanley Kuklinski, who was a Polish immigrant that worked as a brakeman for the Delaware, Lackawanna, and Western Railroad, and Anna McNally, a daughter of Catholic Irish immigrants from Dublin who worked in a meatpacking plant during Richard's childhood. And we'll get into his siblings in a bit, but Richard was the second of four children. Your frat room was considered a meatpacking plant, wasn't it, Mike? Was not. Oh. <laughs> Thanks for clarifying. Mm -hmm. Sure. His father, Stanley, wasn't a big guy, but he was super strong. And he was an alcoholic who would get violent when he drank, specifically towards his wife, Anna, and then later on the kids. In 1929, Anna gave birth to their first child, a son that they named Florian. Leading up to Florian being born, Stanley would call Anna a whore and constantly accuse her of having an affair, saying that Florian wasn't his. Then once Florian was born, Stanley just kind of was blah about having a baby. like He didn't really care. And then eventually he started to get violent towards Florian. We're talking about brutal domestic violence. Mm -hmm. Full-blown uh, punches and stuff. It's a very wow. nasty guy. I don't care much for violent drunks. They've always been a happy drunk. I don't understand violent drunks. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Not much fun. Why would you just? Why would you keep doing it? Right? Because you're a drunk. I guess so. You're thinking that was a stupid question. The disease, I guess. But. <laughs> <laughs> don't beat yourself up, very, man. It's all that's right. what drunks do. In what do you mean? <laughs> Can't you like, be a happy like you alcoholic? Like, you look, you like look down. You're like, oh, that was a stupid question. Sorry, like, pal. Why do you think water's wet, guys? <laughs> so fast forward a couple years. Florian and Richard were old enough that Stanley felt it was acceptable to start beating them. Richard said that his first memories of his father were Stan of Stanley beating him. Stanley hit them with a belt frequently and then eventually got to wrapping the belt around his hand and punching the boys. Florian was really skinny and kind of frail, which pissed off Stanley. And that was a reason for beatings like, like, um, like Florian was too weak. Then Richard eventually got so scared of Stanley that he would wet himself at the sight or sound of Stanley's voice, which also resulted in beatings. Didn't we have a come up with a beat your meat, not your kid slogan? Sounds a familiar. While back. I think that applies to this episode. Sure. Makes sense to me. So at this point, we're in 1940. Richard's five years old and Florian is 11 years old. During one beating, Stanley repeatedly punched Florian in the back of the head with his hand wrapped with that leather belt. Florian kept falling over and then eventually he didn't get back up. Stanley had beaten Florian to death in front of the whole family. That's unbelievable. Did this info came from Kuklinski himself, right? Like an eyewitness account. Right. This is a family thing. We're going to talk about that. It's, it ends up being yeah. a secret. And there's like, how do you come back from that? You know, like what, where's, how does a family continue on after seeing that? I mean, this story makes a whole lot more sense. I think hearing about this part, how things started. Yeah. We always talk about like, um, say people can overcome trauma yeah. I think someone could eventually maybe overcome this to a degree, maybe. But I mean, this is probably the most, I guess, severe domestic violence we've ever talked about. A father beating the kid to death in front of the other kids. Certainly yeah. Close yeah. to it. 
Like there's no, you're, that's going to send everyone down a path. I, I would agree. Hey, Dean, I need that keg, buddy. <laughs> Didn't hear back from our keg guy this week. One beer. That's it. That's all. I said I just opened one beer. Oh, okay. Thanks, Beef. <laughs> Stanley threatened Anna that if she didn't tell the family and police that Florian died from falling down the stairs, that he would kill her. So Anna went along with this and told Richard that Florian had been hit and killed by a car, even though Richard saw what happened. Like, it was just straight up gaslighting. The family were devout Catholics, which was mainly Anna's doing, and her answer to all of this was just to double down on religion and prayer would be the answer. And I'm guessing, you know, police investigations in poor neighborhoods back then probably weren't that substantial. Yeah, this is a very uh, a very poor area of New Jersey at this time. Richard only had one memory of Stanley being fatherly, and it's in a really twisted, backhanded way. Richard was brutally picked on by neighborhood kids. So one day near the apartment that the Kuklinskis lived in, Richard got beat up by two boys in the street. Richard was able to get away and run into his apartment. Stanley saw the whole thing from the window. And when Richard got inside, Stanley beat him and said, no son of mine is going to be a quote chicken shit. After Stanley was done beating Richard, he told Richard to get back down there and defend himself. So he was instructive. He's like, this is what I want you to do to them. Bing, bang, bing. Throws them a beating. Now go out and beat those kids like this. That Pesci from Goodfellas. Bing, bang, bing. I thought you were making a joke to like the old timey Batmans. Like the bam, bam, wham, wows. So yeah, I think that's when he's talking about the cops kicking the shit out of him, right? Yeah, right before he was like, what's so fucking funny about me? Yeah. He's telling the story. Yeah. You're a funny guy. Yeah. He wakes up. What are you doing here? I thought I told you to go fuck your mother. <laughs> Bing, bang, bing. <laughs> Can we just turn the next two weeks into talking about Goodfellas? <laughs> you get the same feel. So Richard went out and fucked both of those kids up. At that point, those boys' father came out and pushed Richard. This resulted in Stanley coming out and one punch knocking out the guy. At the time, Richard said he felt like his father was defending him, but later on realized that this was just... Uh, like a thing of viewing Richard as his property. Like no one touches my kid, but me. Nobody beats the shit out of my kid except me, pal. Pretty much. Yeah. Mm. I'm still stuck on him killing his brother in front of him. Like continuing on in some sort of family way. I don't, I don't know. It just seems unbelievable. I mean, it doesn't sound like Stanley was doing anything in a family way. Yeah. But just being in the same room, like, I don't know, like living under that roof after you watch your brother get beat to death seems just terrifying at all times. Yeah, probably why he was pissing himself when he'd walk in the room. Yeah. You know, we'll talk about it later on. He's over. He ends up being over six feet tall, th- over three hundred pounds. He's a very big guy. Oh yeah. But he didn't hit a growth spurt until his later teens. You know, he was always this really frail, mm-hmm. withdrawn kid. I think it's just everyone living under terror of Stanley. Yeah. Because he said he was going to kill, threatened to kill his wife. And I'm sure she's like, well, I just watched him kill our fucking kid. So it's not out of the question. Eventually, Stanley started bringing home women. He was meeting at the bar and having sex with them in the apartment while Anna and the kids were home. And then Stanley started coming around less and less until he just never came back. He just abandoned the family. Was he fucking in the same room? I don't know. It had to have been pretty close. I mean, it's a small apartment. I don't know. This is not how boomers led me to believe things were in the 50s. (laughs) I thought it was like, you know, milkshake counters and soda shops and saddle shoes and pleated skirts. So there would not be a guy bending a girl over the counter at the soda shop? (laughs) Not from what I've seen. (laughs) I picture back to the future, you know. I mean, I get it. Happier times. We said a minute ago that Anna doubled down on the Catholic religion and she pushed that on Richard hard. He was sent to Catholic school, but since Richard had issues with dyslexia, the nuns would smack his knuckles with a ruler when he used his finger to follow along with sentences. Richard was made to be an altar boy, and between the hitting from priests and nuns, priests being weird about sexual conversations with the altar boys and all the judgmental shit, Richard just completely rejected the church. And he goes into some detail about uh, a specific priest that was talking weird about sex stuff with all the altar boys and he said even back then he knew to 
never be in the room alone with that guy. Smart. I know priests like that. Sure. You ever get the knuckle wrap from the nuns, Mike? I never had nuns, man. No? They were all kind of moving on out. I got paddled. I don't remember getting hit with the ruler on the knuckles. Yeah. No nuns. I don't even know if I had any, like, uh, priest penises up your sphincter. <laughs> yeah, definitely not that. Is that what you were going to say? <laughs> I steered clear of the altar boying. Smart. Smart. So, yeah. I don't have any experiences with any uh, mm. religious type, any abuse. Good. That's why I'm so well adjusted today. Oh, yeah. I could see that. <laughs> At this point, Anna wasn't really caring for Richard or, the, um, or his sister and his youngest brother. She was completely focused on religion and working her two jobs, like really intense praying, like standing up against the wall, almost like in this, this penance type shit. There was never any food in the house for the kids, so Richard started watching the delivery trucks for food and would steal from them when they were parked at grocery stores. Anna was also handing out brutal beatings to the kids, with Richard saying that his mother was a, quote, cancer that hurt everything she touched, and she eventually became worse than Stanley. Well, in her defense, I guess not really in her defense, but it's, it's got to be hard to come back from something like that, right? I don't think anybody's fully coming back. You can't, you know, right? So I, you know, I don't know that you can put all the blame on her. During this time of grade school, Richard was a pretty angry kid deep down, which is understandable from all the shit that we've talked about. And he was still brutally bullied. He stood up for himself when it was a situation of him either beating the shit out of those kids or Stanley was going to beat the shit out of him. But since that incident, Richard didn't fight back. At this point, Richard took out his anger on animals. He would tie two cats' tails together and throw them over a phone line to watch them fight to death, or he would throw them in the apartment's incinerator. Then when it came to dogs, he would just beat stray ones to death with pipes or hammers, or he would set them on fire with gasoline. McDonald triad alert, right? What are the other two? Not like in NASCAR or never seeing Die Hard? <laughs> yeah, anybody who doesn't like NASCAR is on that list, I think. <laughs> Oh, did I say not like yep. NASCAR? Sure did. That's not what I meant. <laughs> you know what I meant, fella. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I dislike Die Hard. I won't watch it. That's I what I know. said, not watching it. I got that one right. I thought you said not liking that one. Oh. It can't be easy tying two cats' tails together. No. That's what that is. sit there and let you do that. You get fucked up by those cats. And then fucking throwing them over a telephone wire. That asshole from making a murder did that Stephen Avery awful tied like j- tied them together like that and then yeah and then another wire. one he was throwing them over a fire that guy's went, 100% guilty in my opinion yeah he's a fucking asshole yeah absolutely okay. don't even get me started on that shit that, that <laughs> documentary pisses me off is that the dude that wanted to get out of jail so he can go watch Wrestlemania his nephew is the one yeah that wanted to get out okay yeah I'm not sure that kid had anything to do with it and then he got railroaded but I'm 100% convinced Stephen Avery killed that girl. I don't think there's any yeah, doubt about it. For sure. That was like, what, what was the name of it? The Making of a Murder? Murder, Making a Murder. So that was like the top shit documentary until like Tiger King came out and then everyone forgot about Making a Murderer. And that sounds right, yeah. Tiger King became the new thing. I was all about Making a Murder. Uh, that was a long time ago, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. And then I read all the... There's a website, I can't remember it, but it has all the court documents and stuff. So I really started reading all that. And I'm like, oh, there's a lot of stuff that they just conveniently uh-huh. didn't talk about. Yeah. So was it meant to portray that this dude might have been innocent? Yeah. That That's he how they framed the documentary. Yeah. yeah. And he for sure wasn't. Uh, no. I don't think so. <laughs> yeah, I don't think so. A lot of people do still. I'm like, yeah. mm, I don't think so. They should read the court documents. They should. A lot of stuff left out of that documentary. Mm-hmm. Maybe one day we'll cover it and we'll tell it the right way. I'd be down for that. You know, because clearly you guys will be so uh, unbiased when we do it. <laughs> Got that right. <laughs> when Richard was 14 years old, Anna qualified for federally subsidized housing in Hoboken, New Jersey. And this was a huge step up as far as the neighborhood and the building. It was a newer building, and there were lots of kids his age in the neighborhood to make friends with. But because Richard was still pretty withdrawn and skinny, he was con- he was a constant target of a group of five bullies that called themselves the Project Boys. <laughs> Better than the Van Buren gang. <laughs> <laughs> From Seinfeld, there was a gang, Ian, named after the uh, 
President Martin Van Buren. Okay. Van Buren gang. <laughs> the only way to get away from them if they were going to kick your ass was to flash the gang sign, which was this, the number eight, because he was the eighth president of the United States. <laughs> That's <laughs> ridiculous. <laughs> Sounds like it could be a musical, like the Project Boys. It's not like West Side Story. Yeah, right? something like that. Yeah. Where are the Project Boys? <laughs> Project Boys versus the Van Buren gang. I can see that. For sure going to see that. Subsidized housing, <laughs> hand-me-down clothes. <laughs> Who we kill next? Nobody knows. <laughs> it all writes itself. <laughs> it absolutely does. The Project Boys would always call Richard a dumb Polak and beat him up any chance that they got. Rude. Richard's only getaway was reading true crime stories like old true crime magazines. And that's all he did was read these magazines and fantasize about driving a fancy car. He fantasized about a fancy car so much that he stole a dark blue Pontiac. You know, I was Googling some old Google images of uh, like the true detective magazines and stuff from the 50s with those wild uh, stories and, and pictures on the front page. It's good stuff. Did those magazines also have interludes of apartment wrestling, like the old wrestling magazine <laughs> that, that Ian recently became uh, I forgot about familiar with? That was a good question. <laughs> Can you imagine, like, at least they're wrestling magazines, and then there's just women wrestling, but, like, you're reading, like, a, a story about, like, a brutal right. murder. You turn a page, and there's two chicks in bikinis just rolling around <laughs> on an apartment floor. You're like, oh, I like where this story's going. And then the next page is, like, a decapitated head. Right, right. <laughs> is that where we talked about having a... Going to watch Ron Jeremy suck his own cock at the apartment building if as long as they have free sushi? I think so, yeah. <laughs> Sounds right. <laughs> That's something. I think you said you would go. I do not believe Ian and I were in agreement with that. Yeah, no, you said that. Well, I was trying to lay off some of the blame so it wasn't just on me. I <laughs> know, yeah, that was you, pal. You have the Ron Jeremy infatuation. My only recollection or, or memories of Ron Jeremy was when he was on The Surreal Life. Do you remember that on VH1? Yeah. The reality show, you remember that? Mm -mm. It was just a reality show where they took like, I don't know, seven or eight C or D list celebrities and put them like real world, but with that. Is that where Flavor Flav was on? Flavor Flav, I think. Okay. Vern right. Troyer, China. Okay. Uh, uh, Vanilla Ice was on Vanilla there. Ice. Him and Ron Jeremy became like good buds, right? Yeah. Mm. And, I don't know, just a bunch of like D list celebrities and they'd live in a house and then they give them like a weird job or something. <laughs> Almost exactly like the real world, really. It's pretty much. Now that I think about okay. it, I'm surprised I didn't get sued over that. <laughs> but that was like, that's when I think of Ron Jeremy, I think of that. Right. Happier memories then. Sure. Just all that hair everywhere. Sitting in jail now. That's right. It's a raper. Buzzkill Betty over here. <laughs> He's a hairy sushi serving rapist. <laughs> You just really you got sushi on your brain now. I know, I know. Sunday can't get here quick enough. So these kids nonstop fucked with Richard. Um, and one day they beat him up particularly bad and spit on him. The leader of this group was a kid named Charlie Lane. And Charlie spit on Richard after this beating. This one was bad enough that Richard's mother noticed and wanted to call the police. Richard said no, he would deal with it. And at that point, he really started dwelling on getting revenge, like straight up hatred. One evening, Richard decided that this was the time he was going to get even. He knew that Charlie took the same way home every evening. Charlie would cut through an alleyway to get back to the projects. So that evening, Richard grabbed a metal rod from a closet, like the ones that you'd hang hangers on, and went to wait for Charlie. Eventually, Charlie came walking by and Richard stepped out of the alleyway. Charlie immediately walked towards Richard to hit him, and then Richard swung the metal rod and hit Charlie in the left side of his head. Richard just kept hitting, and eventually Charlie stopped moving, and at that point Richard realized that he had killed Charlie. He said that he didn't mean to kill Charlie, but he was uh, his only real emotion was that he was scared he was going to go to prison for murder. So to get rid of the body, Richard ran to get the Pontiac that he had stolen a couple days earlier. He struggled, but got Charlie's body into the trunk and drove to the Pine Barrens in New Jersey to dump the body. Once Richard got there, he pulled Charlie's body out of the trunk and into the woods. He knew from reading all those uh, crime magazines that Charlie would probably be identified by his teeth. So using a hammer that was in the trunk of the car, Richard knocked out all of Charlie's teeth. Then using a hatchet that was also in the trunk, he cut off Charlie's fingertips and put the teeth and fingertips in his coat pocket. 
Then driving back, Richard threw the teeth and fingertips out the window randomly along the way home. Looking back on that moment, Richard said his mindset going forward in life was, quote, fuck with me and I'll kill you. It's kind of a lot for your first kill. No? Yeah, he jumped in <clears throat> with both feet on yeah. this one. Like driving a dead body in a stolen car, you know, two hours from Hoboken to the Pine Barrens and then dismembering a body like this. Like that's a big first. Uh, He's right in between step there. 13 and 14 years old right now. Crazy. Hmm. Within a week or so, the rest of the Project Boys gang quit bullying Richard. But Richard was on this power trip from getting revenge and getting away with murder. So Richard beat the shit out of each of those kids with a two by four and said, don't ever come near me again. Then he got a baseball bat and started driving around his old neighborhood in New Jersey, beating the shit out of anyone he could find that ever bullied him. After a while, walking around with a baseball bat was a little inconvenient. So Richard got a knife and he would cut the face of anyone that ever fucked with him. Full throttle, man. He's a fucking kid still. He's 14, 15 years old. Mm-hmm. Not surprisingly, Richard dropped out of school not long after this and started hanging out at pool halls. He got really good at pool and his reputation as being a guy not to fuck with grew all over New Jersey. He was also becoming very charismatic, which led to people gravitating towards him. And eventually Richard had his own gang. It was Richard and four other young guys around his age. So they're all 16, 17 years old right now. And they called their gang coming up roses because if you fucked with any of them, you would end up in the ground coming up as roses. It's pretty clever. Be a cool band name. Coming up roses. Sure. Eh. They all got it tattooed on them too. Nice. Like prison style tattoo. So they ended up starting a band. They never hurt anyone. And they went on to be successful. They opened up for the Beatles yeah. when they came to America. No. <laughs> and then they were successful, and that was it, right? I don't think that's how Good this. story. <laughs> this has been VH1 Behind the Music. What was your gang, Mike? The Bukaki Boys? No, they were our rivals. <laughs> uh, I, I didn't really like to associate with any gangs. No? Kind of was independent. No. Did my own thing. I don't want to be tied down to bylaws and restrictions and drama and all that. It's fair. I come... I fuck, <laughs> come, I leave. I'm in and out. Yeah. 35 seconds. <laughs> you got to get to sleep, man. <laughs> oh, you'd have been good in the Bukaki boys. It's too much uh, politics in that, in that one. <laughs> that right? Too many politics. Everyone wants to be the lead in that. <laughs> oh, what you want me to say, man? <laughs> this is your thing. I don't have anything. <laughs> hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. So Richard had his gang, the coming up roses, and we said he was very charismatic. So he also uh, didn't have an issue with dating regarding him dating women. I'm just going to have, I just quoted the book, Iceman Confessions of a Contract Mafia Killer, because I was cracking up when I read this (laughs) the first time in the book. (laughs) So it's a quote, a 25 year old named Linda took Richard home when he was 16 and he began to live with her. She always wanted to have sex, and he was always happy to accommodate her. She was short with black hair, attractive in a simple way. But she was always in the mood, it seemed, and Richard gave her what she wanted, when she wanted it, and how and where she wanted it. He had a particularly large member she couldn't seem to get enough of. Mm. (laughs) Big Dick Kuklinski, I think we had a missed opportunity for a cool uh, nickname. Really, it would have worked. Big Dick. It's just an odd way I feel to write about uh, <laughs> about this woman. So his gang did a bunch of burglaries, but soon after forming, Richard killed his second person. There was a police officer that hung out at the same pool halls as Richard, and this guy was named Doyle. Doyle drank a lot, looked exactly like Richard's father, and Doyle got really loud and angry when he was drunk. Richard couldn't just beat Doyle's ass in public since he was a cop. So he just kind of stomached 
listening to Doyle run his mouth. Then after beating Richard in a game of pool, Doyle called him a dumb Pollock, and at that point, Richard had enough. Richard watched Doyle leave the bar and followed behind as Doyle walked to his car. Richard sat and watched, and after a while, he realized that Doyle had fallen asleep in his car. So Richard walked to a nearby gas station, bought a can and some gas, and walked back to Doyle's car. Without hesitation, Richard dumped the gas inside the car and threw a match in, burning Doyle alive. You got to be pretty drunk to pass out in your car and not wake up as you're burning or with enough time to get out. Maybe once you're fully engulfed, though, what are you going to do? It's a good point, though. Open the door. I mean, I don't, but even if you're fully engulfed, just open it and roll around and jump out. Yeah. Sounds like Doyle was driving a blazer. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. (laughs) Possibly a Mercedes Burns. Go ahead, let him finish them all. <laughs> you got a list over there, pal? That's all, that's all I got. <laughs> that's fucking brutal, though, torching someone like that. You, you couldn't go Pontiac Sunfire, mm. Dave? No, that's a good one. What do you know? <laughs> Missed opportunity. Next time. Well, it happens, you know. You're having an off night, you know. Yeah, what are you going to do? Not NASCAR <laughs> fans and Sunfires. That's all right. I wrote some good Bukaki Boys music from the start of a musical, though, in my spare time. There you go. You want, to, you want to hear some of the music I wrote in the, in the break? <laughs> sure. Me and my homies run a train on you. Then we'll finish. No, never mind. Sorry, you're we'll workshopping it. it. Right, Maybe go. this will be a oh, bonus show one day. You wrote a good play. Me and my homies run a train on you. Then we'll finish on your face with all of our goo. There you go. <laughs> How about that? You wrote a fantastic play for Bible Bath. That's true, I did. Joseph and the Cucknuteller Dream Cucknuteller Dream Coat. Maybe you can write a, uh, a Bukaki Boys musical, and we'll do it on Patreon. I, I I wouldn't be against it. All right, maybe coming soon. The material writes itself. <laughs> so Richard never told anyone about this murder, um, and when he got away with it, it gave him more of that invincible feeling. Pretty soon, the Coming Up Roses gang was making a lot of money and expanding their criminal activity. Richard's reputation as someone who would brutally beat the shit out of anyone for, quote, annoying him, spread from Hoboken to Jersey City and caught the attention of the DeCavalcante crime family, specifically by a maid guy named Carmine Genovese, nicknamed Meatball, because he was really short and a heavyset guy. No, that makes sense. And he's no relation to the the Genovese crime family. Yeah, he's not. Okay. Which is one of the New York fam, five families. Right. And he's not related to them. Regarding the DiCavalcanti family, New Jersey was always huge for organized crime, but there wasn't a single boss and it was just a bunch of criminal networks. During Prohibition and afterwards, several New Jersey families controlled their own citywide networks and crews associated with the five families in New York started to stake claim on operations in Jersey as well. Crime bosses came and went until the 1960s when Simone Rizzo to Cavalcante came on the scene. He was nicknamed Sam the Plumber because of the plumbing supply store he operated uh, as a business front. And he managed to organize New Jersey's operations like never before, made them super profitable. Under his guidance, the DeCavalcante family added dozens of made guys to their ranks. And at the height of his power, DeCavalcante's crime family was reported to oversee illegal activities worth over $20 million a year. So they based the Sopranos kind of partially on, this, on these guys. What do you want, Mike? Episode three or two? I think I finished the first episode. Oh, okay. So episode <laughs> one. Look, let's just be honest. I'm not on anything. If I ever watch it, I will restart the whole Understood. thing. Understood. Understood. <laughs> I think it was like 2.30 in the morning and I was hammering. I was like, I'm going to start the Sopranos. And I was like, nah, I'm not going to start the Sopranos. <laughs> the only thing I remember is them like trying driving over grass, trying to hit that guy with the car. That's or right. hitting a guy with a car. Right. That's the only thing I remember from that episode. <laughs> and then his hot daughter, but she was like really young mm-hmm. when that show started. They did the commercial at the, on the Super Bowl. With her and uh, her brother. Oh, I didn't see that. Yeah. I didn't see that either. You didn't see that? Mm-mm. She was driving, uh, driving at like the route that Tony's driving at the beginning of the show. Like she drove past Satrial's pork shop and stuff. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, it was neat. And then it was like for credit one or something weird. And you're like, what the fuck? What was it for? <laughs> I, don't, I don't even remember. Maybe a car company. I don't remember what it was. 
Genevieve invited Richard and his gang over for dinner and offered them a job opportunity. Genevieve told them about a guy that he needed killed and asked Richard if he was interested. This is what Richard had been wanting for a while, um, which was an in with the mob. So he immediately said that they would do it. Carmine Genevieve said that it needed to be done quick. And if there were any issues to call him because the Cavacante family owned the police, then Genevieve gave Richard a picture of the guy and told him where he lived. Then the coming up roses had their own meeting before going through with the job. And it was decided that one of the members named John Wheeler was going to be the one to pull the trigger. They went to Lincoln park, found the guy's house and sat there and watched. They saw him come out of the house, but John Wheeler froze and said he couldn't do it. So this guy gets in the car and starts driving and John Wheeler said, I'll do it this time. So they pulled up alongside him at a red light. And again, John froze. So at this point, Richard was like, fuck it, I'll do it. They followed the guy to the bar and waited for him to leave. This guy stayed there until nighttime, and as he walked to his car, Richard came from the side, shot him once in the left side of the head. The next day, Richard went back to Carmine Genovese's house to report that the job was done. Carmine didn't expect him to do it that quick, so he was more than happy to give them all 500 and with that, Richard was accepted into the world of organized crime. 500 bucks, huh? Okay. 500 bucks <laughs> in 50s money. Yeah, I suppose. I don't know what that <laughs> equates to. Seems on the low end to shoot someone. Yeah. And kill yeah. them. But to each of them, too, for a one-man job. True. Oh, what, four of the gang? Uh, five, I five. believe. Five, okay. It's like the Bukaki boys. There's, you know, 15 of them. Yeah. <laughs> All the Bukaki boys shoot when told to <laughs> all at the same time. Well, I would hope so. Otherwise, it's just a cum shot, right? That's right. It defeats the whole purpose. It's your namesake. <laughs> and then the big finale is all at once, right? Like right. synchronized blowing. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the, was it the 1812 overture at the end when everyone's finishing? Dun 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 dun. <laughs> <laughs> Carmine Genovese started giving the coming up roses more work to do. And it started to get to pretty high level stuff like robbing armored vehicles. One of these robberies earned each member $200,000, but Richard blew through his money as quick as he earned it on shit like bright yellow suits and tons of gambling. Fuck yeah, dude. <laughs> yellow suits. Richard spent a lot of his time in illegal gambling spots. And it was at one of these operations that would end up, uh, ending the coming up roses. So 200 grand I did look up and it was for 1950 money was uh, 2.3 million. So yeah, that's they, a huge score. <laughs> yeah, he blew Unbelievable. real quick. He's a really bad gambler. Just love gambling, bought, like I said, these yellow suits. He had pink suits and shit. It's all kind of stuff. Fucking wild. He's just flipping through like, uh, what am I going to wear today? That's what 17, 18-year-old Richard Kuklinski was doing. That's all right. So two of the members of Coming Up Roses decided that they would rob a card game that was being held by a maid guy of the, the Cavacante family. The two were wearing bandanas over their faces, but it wasn't hard to figure out who they were. There weren't many 17, 18-year-old kids working for them like that. Right. And it sounded like these maid guys were sitting there fully knew who they were and they're like are you sure you want to do this like okay fine here's the money but in the back of their heads are like yeah, these kids are dead that's a literal sopranos episode do you remember that yeah like that's what got jackie jr killed they did exactly this <laughs> right i wonder if they wrote that based on this i would assume so they, they must be right yeah. yeah so carmine genovese went to richard with two options and it's it sounded like he knew Richard was going to be the one, like he was the one out of the group of mm. them that was like the really stone cold criminal. That makes sense. That could be part of something yeah. bigger. The other guys were throwaway crew. Right. <clears throat> so Carmine went to Richard with two options, said either kill your friends or we're going to kill all of you and then we'll just be done with it. So not long after those two were found with a single gunshot wound to the head and the other two remaining members of the coming up roses didn't want to be a part of it anymore. Did he admit to killing those two? Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
And so far, everything that we've talked about is all corroborated. Like wow. Charlie Lane, the bully, mm-hmm. did go missing, never seen right. again, stuff like that. So now it's 1954. Richard's 19 years old, and he took to exercising by going to Manhattan and walking up and down the west side. One day while he was walking, Richard said a homeless person demanded money, like was really rude about it. And when Richard kept walking, the guy grabbed him by the shoulder, to which Richard turned around and stabbed him twice in the chest. Richard kept walking his route, which eventually would go in a circle, taking him past the homeless guy's body. Richard said that he liked seeing the guy laying there dead, like another power thing. And after this, Richard walked around Manhattan pretty much begging for homeless people to fuck with him so he would have an excuse in his mind to murder them. This is where you can, there starts to be a debate of serial killer or something else. Yeah, because I was watching the Iceman stuff on HBO the other day and the... The FBI, the one FBI guy, I forget his name, he gave his opinion. He was not to be considered a serial killer. But I, I can see that argument, though. He's just preying on people for no reason. At the, right? This, yeah. All these murders are for absolutely no reason. Just honing his craft, I, I yeah. guess. Yeah. And we'll see, the, especially in part two, we'll talk about it, that he's an extreme version of someone with anti-personality disorder. Like, no feeling at all. So we'll we'll talk about in part two. He tries to switch up his killing methods to see if he can feel anything out of it. Mm. And and he tells a story about using a crossbow (laughs) to see if, you know, see if it would work. Like no feeling out of it, just whatever. It worked, but. Mm. Yeah, I'm sure it did. This guy is very unlike anybody we've discussed before. Like the guy with the crossbow he talks about, he said it was just some random guy on the street. He pulled up, acted like he needed direction somewhere, said, hey, can you ask? And when the guy bent over, he just shot him right in the forehead with it Wow! just to see if it would work. Again, with the random shit, terrifies me. Yeah. I want to stay in the house. That's why Ian does. He's smart. Stay S- safe. We have literally <laughs> never covered a serial killer that was a raccoon. So I'm not sure we ever will, right? They're so good at killing that we just don't know. <laughs> You open that dumpster one day, there's going to be like bodies in there. <laughs> they fucking come attack you at your car and drag you in. They're, they all stop what they're doing. They're all shocked yeah, they're looking, like looking up at them. What are you doing here? They're gnawing on a head. <laughs> one of us. One of us. Ian just jumps in and starts eating the head as well. Richard also figured out at this time that um, the gay men community was easy to prey on for this practicing. He he said that he was at a bar and it, it was a gay bar. So I'm not sure why he was there. I don't know if he went there looking for trouble. It's not clear, mm. but he said he went there to get a beer and some guy hit on him. He said, no. And as he was walking out, the guy kept hitting on him, wouldn't stop. And Richard got pissed, beat him up and then took a cobblestone, like a brick that was coming mm. out of the street and just bashed the guy's head in with it and killed him. Ugh. So then he realized that the the gay community was a throwaway community that no one really gave a shit about same as homeless people like the police wouldn't be investigating yeah and i think that's true even with serial killers today jeffrey dahmer got away with that bruce MacArthur from 2018 up in canada that's really new still but that's who he preyed on was the gay community and a lot of those guys were you know police kind of just don't give a fuck yeah and he's oddly wanted to make it clear in the book and in the HBO documentary. I think it's maybe the second or third one that he had nothing against gay people. Like as a, as a whole, nothing against them. It was just easy prey. Glad he clarified that. Multiple times he made sure that he said that over and over again. I'm a serial killer, not a homophobe. Right. I want to make that clear. I preyed on that community, but I'm not a homophobe. Right. Thanks, pal. Around this time, Carmine Genovese got busted for illegal gambling operations, so Richard's money dried up. There wasn't much work for him, so he got a job unloading trucks. Imagine you score $2.3 million hijacking, and then you blow it all, and you have to go unload trucks. And this is, like, really quick. This is all within a span of two, three years. Unbelievable. Hmm. He was the best-dressed truck unloader. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like wearing that yellow suit when you're yep. hauling boxes off of that truck. 
while working this job, he kept an eye out for stuff to steal and make money off of, but it was pretty rare. Then he got Linda pregnant and Richard was not happy about it. He didn't love Linda. He said she was just a convenience for him. It was somewhere to stay and have sex whenever he wanted. Richard wanted her to get an abortion, but Linda refused because she said she didn't believe in it. Richard already hit Linda whenever she, quote, annoyed him. That's something that he says over and over again. It's like when somebody annoys him, <laughs> it's like that's code word for you're on the verge to either get your ass beat mm. or killed. What did he say earlier? Fuck with me and I'll kill you. So mm-hmm. now you annoy him. That's fucking with him. Yeah. Apparently, yeah. Like in the documentary, I, I can't remember which one it is. One of the three. But the uh, psychiatrist kind of questions him a bit. He's like, I'm an, I'm annoyed with you now. He was not happy with yeah, him. Yeah, he was like, you got me annoyed yes. with you now. That's right. It was scary. He could tell, man. Like, yeah. He'd break the guy's neck. If it wasn't a controlled situation yeah, with yeah, police sure. there. yeah. Um, but now Richard was punching Linda in the stomach, trying to cause a miscarriage. Ultimately, Richard ended up marrying Linda in secret for what he said was, quote, for the sake of the kids. And he's he has a second child with her, too, which is crazy yeah and a third no with linda i'm not sure barbara will come in part two okay all right the hbo documentaries don't talk about linda and those kids i was just thinking this is who ended up being the wife but uh, Mm -hmm. based on that i'm seeing that that's not who this is okay yeah they don't they don't talk about this (laughs) yeah not at all Mm -mm. okay yeah he said that uh he just didn't he didn't love her didn't love these kids at all which probably ended up being better for them in the long run that he didn't love them, that he wasn't around, you know, but yeah. In 1956, Carmine Genovese got out of prison and needed someone killed. Richard had killed for Carmine before, but that was just like a one-off thing, kind of more of a test. Richard wasn't a contract killer. He was more of take whatever jobs he could get with Carmine, but this one was different. This one was like a real test for Richard because Carmine wanted this guy to suffer for, quote, disrespecting a made guy's wife. Carmine showed Richard a picture of the guy and told him that he was a used car salesman in Newark and to bring something back as proof that he suffered. And in the book, uh, Richard said that Carmine said like a, like a hand or some toes. <laughs> After watching the used car lot and this guy's movements for a couple days, Richard went to the lot on the third day at 11 a.m. acting like he wanted to buy a car. He told his target that he needed something cheap that he could buy that day, and the salesman showed him a car to test drive. They got in the car and started driving a bit. When Richard said, I think I hear something under the hood. Can I stop and check? And this guy said, sure. He's not suspecting anything. Richard had previously parked his own car in that area, and that's where he stopped to check under the hood of the used car. When the salesman looked under the hood, Richard hit him in the back of the head with his 38, taped his mouth shut, hogtied him, and threw the guy in his truck and drove to the Pine Barrens. You love those Pine Barrens over there in Jersey. There's a lot going on in the Pine Barrens <laughs> out there. How many bodies are in the fucking Pine mm. Barrens? Not that Russian guy in the Sopranos. He got away. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Paulie and Christopher were lost out there. <laughs> that was a great episode. One thing is clear. He wasn't driving a Ford Escape. (laughs) (laughs) We were just talking about the Pine Barrens the other day, weren't we? On another episode. Were we? We were talking about the Jersey Shore and something, yeah. I think the Pine Barrens is like west of Atlantic City inland, but like about as far south as Atlantic City, somewhere around there. Someone bury someone there? I I can't remember. (laughs) I don't know. The Jersey Devil was flying around in the oh, Pine yeah. Barrens. The real one, not the kangaroo one. Right, the real <laughs> yeah, one. Yeah, right. Well, kangaroos can't fly. <laughs> That's right. Once Richard got to the spot that he had already scouted out, he pulled the guy out of the trunk and tied him to a tree. His victim's mouth was still taped shut, and he was trying to beg as Richard went back to the trunk to get a hatchet and a shovel. Using the hatchet, Richard smashed the guy's knees and ankles and then cut off his fingers one by one. Richard said he stepped back and looked at the guy. And at that point, he decided that he was going to take his head back to Carmine instead of fingers. 
Richard wasn't clear on how he killed the guy other than that before burying him, he decapitated him and put his head in a plastic bag. When he got back, Carmine was super happy with Richard and how he went above and beyond by bringing the guy's head back to him. Carmine paid Richard $10,000 on the spot. And with that, Richard Kuklinski was officially a contract killer. And that is where we will pick back up on part two. Guy's good at his job, I guess. Utterly terrifying. Yeah. Mm. Gives that extra effort for sure. <laughs> yes, he does. Good, good uh, ending point, Ian. Thanks. Well done. He, he says that um, he never knew what any of these people did. He made sure that he didn't, he never wanted to know. Didn't care. What they I think did. that's the way to go about it, right? You don't want to get too invested in these people. You get paid to go kill them. So just go do that. I guess your job is not to know. Yeah. And once you start knowing things, you might start second guessing or questioning mm-hmm. or thinking like, oh, well, that's petty. Maybe this guy doesn't deserve to die. No. Not that I don't I'm justifying any of this. I'm just saying if it's your job <laughs> to get money and to kill someone, just I would focus on that task. Yeah, that Richard Kuklinski was never going to have a conscious or I don't even if, you know. But I think it helps you do your job better when he when you don't know and you just go and do it. Yeah. It's interesting that he's curious about that lack of conscience and tries to understand why he doesn't have it, but I don't think ultimately he's able to find it or understand why yeah. it's not there. I think we'll see more next week. In the third HBO documentary, um, psychiatrist Park Dietz is talking to him. We've talked about Park Dietz before. Mm-hmm. Um, he explains it to Richard pretty pretty well. Yeah, I thought so. The personality disorders yeah. involved in that. Richard seemed to accept his analysis. Yeah, it's really interesting. Just the chemical, you know, according to Park Dietz, it's just that the the wiring you know there's some genetics there and then the extreme abuse just yeah never had a chance all right it'd be interesting to discuss at the end i think so next week about serial killer versus you know just a contract killer getting paid for a lot of unnecessary murdering going on in his story most of it is (laughs) just unnecessary people on the side that he He's wasn't paid for. Right. Yeah. He just well, like did the homeless do. people yeah. just walking around. Please come talk to me. And like you said, honing his craft, like he, he just started trying different ways. Like it was a sport. Yeah. He said that the, what he found eventually with the homeless people and the gay guys was stabbing them in the back of the head because it was quick. Blood didn't shoot everywhere. Mm-hmm. Just in and out. And then he started trying with an ice pick. He said, if you got it right in the ear or right in the eye, it was over and done with quick with not a lot of blood. What is it like to stab someone in the back of the head? And how hard do you have to hit them? Very hard, I would assume. That's crazy. And he was like, not even the back of the neck, the back of the head. Mm -hmm. He said he had a big combat knife. But you you certainly couldn't do like, I don't think a a small switchblade or anything like Mm. that. You know, from, from my knife, you know, oh. expertise. <laughs> in Goodfellas, Tommy gave that guy the ice pick in the back of the head in the in the car. I think it was in the neck, though. Like in the, That's right below like his face. head. Yeah. Which uh, Morty? The, Morty. Yeah. yeah. The, uh, what did he sell? The, w- the wig guy. Yeah. But did he sell wigs? Yeah, because yeah, when you right. jump in the pool, it doesn't yeah. come off. Yeah. Because yeah. he wanted his fucking money from I think Latanza or something. Right. And he wouldn't shut up. Thought they never shut the fuck up. Get some right, like at the base, though. Because, of course, that's what I was thinking of. But, like, you know, that's not the skull. But to go through your skull is a different story. Like, severing your spine and the neck is one thing. But Or do you come up from the bottom, like under the... Like the base up and in? I don't know, yeah. He said the best way to shoot someone is if you're close enough to shoot them under their chin. Just put the gun under and and shoot them. Mm. Or stab them in the back of the head. Ah, damn. At least blood involved. He's the expert. You want to ruin your yellow suit? That's what he said about chainsaws, too. Because he said that that's just a whatever, you know, a Hollywood fiction thing. He was like, why am I going to fuck up my clothes using a chainsaw? You get pieces of guy's meat all over my suit. (laughs) That isn't fucking do that. (laughs) Stupid. God. All right. We got some new patron shout outs tonight. Thank you very much to Harley Guerrardo, SM, Joel Velez, Kaylee Hand, Steve, Aria Sharice, Jackie Daly, 
Nathan Miller, Natasha Wheelock, Anna Lipinski, Tana Haberl, Broen underscore Rad Radkinson, Ashton, Aaron Powell, Jason, Ellie Ludlow, Risky Cyanide, John Garner, Ben Dover, Shaylin, KD, Say It in a French Accent, Laurent, Remy, Pretty Little Nerdy Girl, Autumn Fragrance, Christy McRoy. Autumn Fragrance? Is that Casey Anthony? That's right. Wasn't that her uh, like screen name or something? On YouTube with the page after page after page of uh, comments, how Casey was innocent. It's probably really her. Yeah, that email, was it was linked to shit going on in Tampa Bay. I'm 99% sure that that was her. If it is, hey, I'm pretty confident <laughs> she would listen to the show and like it and probably is a fan of ours. So, hey, Casey. <laughs> Mitter Ben S. Dirty, Bryson Stadfelt, Melissa Bustos, Gwen Sorensen, Melissa Bustos, excuse me, Gwen Sorensen, Andrew Bates, Jonathan Madreno, Brian K. Spencer, Amanda Kate, Stephen Whitelaw-Kirk, another Alt-ACC, Laura Cooper, Necroscum, Bailey Harris, Leroy Jenkins, Janine 7-0. Thank you all very much. We're at patreon.com slash Necronomapod. Ian, what do you got? For iTunes, I have one for Sheban Beck, Eden F, and Greek Hero Boys. Thank you for the awesome reviews. Dave, what do you got? Hey, Ian, and one more review from uh, Calcutta, India. From, I had that name right here, and then I lost it. Devlina, Calcutta, India. Amazing that people in Calcutta are listening to the show. Right. Also, some new stickers up on the on the website if you want to go check it out. Yep, those have been available for a few days now. Check them out. New three pack, two pack, and three pack available. Yeah, the two packs are the two new ones. Yep. In case you already have the other one, you don't want uh, the third a repeat. But why? Why would you not slap that baby on a coffee mug? Slap it on some random person's car in a Target parking lot. (laughs) On for the whole family. If you see their Mercedes Burns in the parking lot there, just put it right <laughs> on the windshield. windshield. Uh, so, yeah, those are at, those are exclusively at Necronomapod.com. You will not find those on Amazon, but all of our other merch, our, our clothing is at Amazon.com. And only at Amazon. The internet has been taken over by fake pirated Necronomapod shirts. Yeah. At this point, if you buy anything that is not directly from our website or Amazon, shame on you. You know better. You know better. <laughs> It's crazy when you Google um, Necronomapod and then like it comes up the search results and it'll say like Necronomapod Dave and Mikey and then and all that shit. Everyone like names come up. Yeah, like people trying stuff? to Google what That's we look fucking like. Fucking weird. <laughs> <laughs> but when you go in, <laughs> when you click on any of those, it the image results and stuff, it always shows a ton of bootleg shit. It's, there's so like, it's crazy. Yeah, I'm going to go Google Necronomapod Ian and it's going to be a bunch of bootleg artwork. Yeah. Oh, it, yeah. There's like a couple pictures of me for real. And then all these websites selling our shit fake. Yeah. We stickers directly from us and, mm-hmm. and the merchandise or clothing, which is all we have. We have stickers and we have clothing and the seller on Amazon is Amazon. Nobody else. Just Amazon. Necronomapod store. Yeah. There's even fakes on Amazon if you don't keep up with that. Yeah, it's the Necro store on Amazon. But there's fakes on Amazon sells? They pop up occasionally. I have them removed, but, you know, it's impossible to keep up with the other ones. We I used to get mad about it. I think on the show I said, like, if you stole this, don't fucking listen anymore or something. Now it's like, whatever, what am I going to do? But the people stealing it, they... They, I don't think they even know what we are. They just see the brand yeah. on Amazon and they, they just steal it. They write scripts that pull in like trending designs on Amazon and it just auto populates on their store. Yeah, there's no way. Yeah, that's all they do. Uh, speaking of that, I wrote a script that searches continuously Mike Namapod penis like all, all day long. <laughs> so I'm trying to get that to be the number one search when you put in Necronomapod. It's not working yet. I'm trying to get that up there. Wouldn't that be something? Mike no, Mike no pod <laughs> penis. Just wait, then everyone's going to start getting actual dick pics of me. <laughs> they got to live with that for the rest of their lives. <laughs> That's so crazy that when you Google it, our names pop up. Mm-hmm. I'm going to have to try that and 
see what when I get. Yeah. Uh, I'm not going to do it because I'll just get angry about all the bootleg shit up there. Yeah, don't look at that. That's what it'll be. Yeah, yeah, we've had people send us stuff like, oh, I love this. Like, look at what I bought. And it's like, <laughs> like fucking Necronomapod socks. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, that ain't from us. Or like a baby onesie. Yeah. Like, I'm not selling not that us. shit. What is nope. that? <laughs> Notebooks and folders. Not us. I mean, uh, thank you for listening and supporting us, but you're not supporting us with that one. Mm-mm. Anyways. Uh, the last thing, Eden said that they like uh, Stone Cold Beef Austin. We are on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube at Necronomapod, Patreon.com slash Necronomapod for all of our bonus content. And once again, Amazon.com, the Necronomapod store, strictly through Amazon. Okay. All right, you guys ready for a cool down beer? Cheers. <laughs>